Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of If Women Were Meant to Fly, The Sky Would Be Pink. Episode 1, The Next Phase. I'm Enid O'Tun. In this episode, I have a critical career decision to make at Bristow Helicopters. Do I go ahead, take a chance and make history as the first female chief pilot in Nigeria, or do I stay safe? Is loyalty to my company an insurmountable stumbling block to leaving? And whilst all that is happening in my head, I spend my weekends at the Lagos Flying Club, going back to basics. with job offers is that whilst having the offer in front of you is magical for your self-confidence, you're at the same time racked with indecision, even when you know you have to move forward and take risks. Now, I'm no stranger to taking risks, either in the aircraft or outside it. My career course up to this point had been filled with them, and that wasn't going to change anytime soon. The struggle was real, And in spite of slow change in the industry, the cultural and traditional prejudices remained. I was a hands-on captain and I prided myself on being approachable, a teacher and a team leader where everyone has a role to play. And that role was important no matter what you did. My co-pilots would only gain self-confidence in their abilities if I allowed them to grow and push their boundaries. Although, it has to be said that on more than one occasion I was surprised by the outcome, just as everything was looking good. Part of being a good captain was giving the opportunity of learning to your crew members. For a few years at the beginning of my career, I was constantly amazed at the number of excuses I would be given as to why I couldn't fly this sector or that sector, even as my experience increased and I was clearly competent. This didn't happen with everyone, just a select few. I reasoned that this was often down to their lack of confidence in a strange way, and not because they didn't believe I could fly without possibly subjecting them to an uncomfortable ride or a bad landing that they would ultimately be responsible for. As a flight instructor, still working the weekends out at the flying club, I had no choice but to be confident in my ability to wrestle the aircraft off a student who had frozen mid-flight with fear, but who still hung on to the controls with an iron grip. I had experienced, too, the sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach as you let your student perform his first landing without your assistance, only to find that, after a very stable, correct approach, as he or she lulled you into a false sense of security. Then... Half a mile out from the runway, all hell broke loose as the previous unflappable student lost the whole complete plot, which resulted in gripping the control column whilst rocking the wings in an exaggerated fashion and pulling the nose up prematurely when you still had a hundred feet to go. You had to learn pretty quickly when to intervene or when to gently assist in corrections that would prevent the embarrassment of a bent aircraft and a newly placed crater in the runway – along with a distressed now ex-student. 
not to mention the experience of any unfortunate passengers. Intervene too soon, and you risked not allowing them to build their confidence levels, as well as their decision-making skills at this early stage, which would hopefully stay with them for life. I most definitely had my fair share of surprises in either the small two-seater trainers or the bigger beasts while monitoring a crew member. I suffered the same during my early student days, believing that if everything was going right, there must be something wrong with the way I was doing it. And so, making additional inputs, which destabilised the whole effort. The mind works in mysterious ways. With my regular simulator slot at Bristow's, bringing co-pilots up to speed with the Twin Otter aircraft, I was often treated to some imaginative responses to emergency procedures, which I would never have wanted to see on the actual aircraft in a real situation. On one occasion, a pilot under training with me asked if he could just make it up and try anything if he'd forgotten the correct sequence of procedures for an engine fire or failure on takeoff. Yes, really. Bemused, I responded that he could, but since he was there to be a professional crew member and know every inch of his aircraft, and given that he was at one of the most critical and dangerous stages of flight, it would most likely not end well for him or his passengers. Many incidents would take place at my home, away from home, the Lagos Flying Club. I still spent a lot of weekends overseeing flight training for up-and-coming pilots. We had recently brought a flight examiner on board to carry out the flight tests needed for licence issue at the end of the courses. In addition to the flying, I was still teaching ground school subjects such as aerodynamics, weather, navigation, air law and radios. In those early days... I would have to import all the private pilot licence training manuals myself through my contacts in the UK for students to purchase. It was the easiest way to make sure that everyone learnt from the same resources. Despite being busy on both fronts and happy with my current position, I still had to give my future a lot of thought. It was tempting to stay put where I was, comfortable with the environment I had around me and the people I knew. Change for any reason was a foray into the unknown, and especially for me at that time, when all my energy and effort had been put into developing my career along its current lines. The future held promise, I could see that, but it depended like it does for many people on the ability to take a leap of faith. I wanted the responsibility of chief pilot, and I passionately believed in my heart that I was up to the task and could make a difference. I didn't want my career to become stagnant to the point where I would always regret decisions I made or come to resent the decisions that I didn't make. Given my career path thus far, the female aspect of it was lowest on the list. I always knew that there would be an element of disapproval, but this was nothing compared to what the position could bring in the long run. To be honest, I'd weathered ample prejudice up to this point, and I just realised that the best response was to nip it in the bud immediately and then to get on with my job. That was enough to silence the most obvious of detractors, and the rest? I didn't really care, to be honest. I'd never really fit in any environment, so I was used to people giving me strange looks and treating me with suspicion. Sometimes they still do. Anyway, I knew the people around me, so it would not be a dash into the unknown.
Being the first woman in this position was a great confidence boost, and even though I didn't know it at the time, it would set a precedent in this cultural and traditionally reticent society. Would it encourage more women to join the tiny number now evident in the industry? I hoped so. My two colleagues who were making vast inroads in their respective companies were proof of that. Michelle Lawal, who now worked for Aero Contractors and who trained at the Aviation College in Zaria, and my colleague who worked with a construction company, Berger. Michelle and I would become fast and firm friends, and we would face some of the challenges as women pilots together. Michelle, like me, was a force to be reckoned with, and would go on to become a very accomplished captain, flying the Twin Otters and HS-125s. She was confident and fastidious, and would blaze an unforgettable trail through the Nigerian aviation industry in the years to come. We would meet up as frequently as we could, and we could often be found in each other's company in our respective crew rooms as we crossed paths flying the length and breadth of Africa. One of the fondest memories that I have of Michelle was an occasion off-duty, when we were both invited to a party at a club on Lagos Island. She came to my house to get ready, and since I was not the most proficient at applying any type of finery, including makeup, she was the one who advised and assisted me. I have a picture somewhere of us after we'd gotten ready, where her character and fun side shone through. I remember we had a fabulous time together, and that's a memory I shall always treasure. Michelle, who was the same age as me, passed away a few years back from an illness, and I feel her loss significantly. I wish that she was still here to reap the rewards of being one of the women to have beaten the system into submission. I will always remember her as one of the finest pilots and one of the kindest human beings I have ever met. Remembering Michelle reminds me of one of the training courses that I had to undertake before I could become a captain. This was also another reminder of my company wanting me to succeed. Before you could hold a Nigerian airline transport pilot's licence, you had to take an exam related to aircraft performance. It was known as the Performance A exam, and as I recall, it filled all of us with dread. It was a notoriously difficult course and exam, with little margin for error, understandably. You could study on your own and hope for the best, but it was better to take a course to give you the best chance of success. We knew that commercial pilots could sit this exam several times, with the average number of sittings being four or more. Very few of my colleagues expected a first-time pass, but hoped to be successful on the second attempt. Bristow's decided to send me up to a flying academy in Scotland for a week's course to give me the best opportunity of passing it. And so I was duly dispatched by plane to London and then by overnight sleeper to Perth in Scotland, arriving at an ungodly hour, having had almost no sleep on the journey north. I arrived in a cold and dreary Perth and into the care of the flight school's liaison officer who immediately whisked me off to the women's only accommodation a short tour of the facilities, and then insisted on me joining him and his family for a traditional Scottish breakfast. I was touched by the Scottish friendliness and hospitality. The only thing I found a bit tricky was his fantastic but very strong Scottish accent, which had me asking him to repeat himself several times. He was so good-natured and patient and implied that all of the foreign students in his care had the same problem. He introduced me to his wife, who sat me down at the breakfast table and produced coffee and kippers. 
Now, anyone that knows me well will know that I'm not partial to fish of any kind at any time of the day. And the realisation that I would have to be respectful and chow down with gusto was akin to having my hair plaited by my Nigerian grandmother when I was a toddler and realising, even at that young age, that I would have to be silent and accepting to appease her and show respect. Nightmare. If I had learned anything in my life's journey so far, it was how to fake it. I forced a smile, ate the kippers, and feigned my delight as I did so. Such is life. Though weak with my five female colleagues from all over the globe for the Performance A course passed in a dizzying haze, it was hard as I was not particularly gifted on the mathematics front and I had to work a lot harder than most. I could apply a lot of things that I was not comfortable with in my job, but it took a lot of hard work and did not always occur naturally. But I got through it and returned to Lagos ready to sit the exam a few days later. I did take a couple of other things away with me on that training course. One was the camaraderie of five women from all over the globe trying to break the glass ceiling in an industry that was still mistrustful of women's abilities. And two, the Scottish hospitality in one of the most picturesque and beautiful regions in the United Kingdom. I entered the small exam room at the Nigerian Civil Aviation Authority building with trepidation and left some four hours later exhausted but confident that I had scraped through. Two days later, our training and licence manager advised me that I had failed the exam and would have to resit it again the following week. I was devastated, even though I knew the chances of a pass first time were slim. Everyone consoled me and advised me to go back to the books in the few days that I had left to study and make it count. I remember that I had visions of never passing it, never getting my ATPL licence and never becoming a captain. I had dreams about it and I was sullen and morose and bad-tempered for a lot of that time. I couldn't seem to draw on any positive elements from past battles and doomed myself to fail at the last hurdle. But somehow, I turned up again at the same room in my black and whites with my sharpened HB pencils and resolved to give it another go. Another four hours of my life would pass forever by the time I walked out of the building for a second time. And two days later, I braced myself for the worst as the training and licence manager appeared in the crew room for the second time in two weeks. Madame, you passed. Congratulations. I almost passed out with relief. Are you sure? I asked, not really wanting to know if he'd just made a huge mistake. Yes, ma, he said. You were the only one to pass out of the pylos to sit it again. Second time is very good. I shook his hand with gusto and treated myself to a larger coffee. As relief filled my body, I very quickly began to regain the confidence that I had lost and had the sense that I was coming back into myself. Thank God for that. All these years later, I still think of the Performance A exam as one of the most difficult and challenging exams that I had to take. The company had given me the tools to succeed and progress, and I would be forever grateful. It made my decision even more difficult, as loyalty then, as it is now, was right at the top of my agenda. Thank you for listening. As always, your reviews and comments are very much appreciated. Thank you to Lucy Ashby for the editing of this episode. 
If you would like to ask a question or make a comment, then please do so on our social media sites. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or send us an email. Our email address is theskyispinkpilot at gmail.com or visit our website www.skyispink.co.uk In the next episode, the decision about my future must be made as the offer will not remain on the table for much longer. The deed is done and I start the next phase of my journey. Thank you and goodbye. Check out Print My Tops by visiting www.printmytops.co.uk for a family-run t-shirt printing business specialising in quirky, fun t-shirt designs, as well as bespoke custom printing for workwear and birthdays. They also have a great range of personalised gift ideas. They are the top for tops. Follow them on Instagram or Facebook at Print My Tops and add coupon code PINKSKY to your order to receive a free personalised pencil case with your name on it. Don't forget, Print My Tops is the exclusive provider for the Pink Sky podcast merchandise. Visit them online at www.printmytops.co.uk.